0: Hello and welcome back to The Business Of, a podcast aimed to shine a spotlight on Australia's great businesses and business people. My name is Will Chapman. I'm joined by co-host Charlie Self. Charlie, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks, Will. How are you? Not too bad. Yeah, okay. So we we're very lucky to be joined by Andrew Wellington today. So for those who don't know, Andrew took over as chairman of the Brisbane Lions in December 2017 and he's also been a partner at PwC in their deals practice since 2003, where he's also held the position a position on the Australian Board of Partners from tw- 2013 to 2013 to uh june 2022. we are very lucky to have andrew joining us today andrew thanks for being here
0: pleasure thank you so andrew a question we like to start out asking our guests is what are they doing at 9am on a monday
2: uh well it varies to be honest uh, whether i've got my pwc hat on or whether i've got my brisbane lions hat on but um but most often i'd be planning the week out um i'd be in the office i normally get in the office by about 7 30 and I'd be sitting there getting ready for the week.
1: Yeah, awesome. Early bird, love it. All right, Um, next question, I suppose, and this is one that I think a lot of our audience would be very interested by, is PwC is a place that employs thousands of people across the country. How did you land there? Well, I started with PwC in Perth um, a long time ago. And so
2: I spoke to someone who I knew uh, in the industry and I said, how, how do you choose between the firms? And he said, Well, I would go to the firm that has the best clients. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, it was Cooper's, so one of the predecessor firms to PwC in Perth had Robert Holmes at court, Kerry Stokes, Hammersley Eye, they had some great clients. And so, with hindsight, that was a really valuable, powerful piece of advice for a young person because I was just struggling. I was sort of at the point of. You know, trying to trying to get a, a get a dice and, <laughs> and roll the dice. To be honest, so and that's yeah, that's how I ended up at PwC. Oh, awesome! Yeah,
0: so what? You know, you've been there I think, twenty eight years now, is it? Well, it's actually it's actually my my LinkedIn starts when I joined PwC Brisbane. It's actually about yeah. thirty
2: three years. Ah, and I back yeah, well, wow. I started uh, which is. Even even sadder, perhaps to me. <laughs> 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 <I think laughs> nothing sad ahead. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so,
0: it. yeah, so what about PWC's made you you know, want to stay there for so long, and what about working there, you know makes it so fulfilling for you? Well,
2: every organizations different, obviously, but the beauty of an organization like PWC with its size and breadth is, notwithstanding I've been there so long, thirty three years, I've probably had six or seven quite distinctive roles or jobs within PwC in that time. So I joined them in their audit division in Perth, which is a pretty pretty traditional place to start for yeah. a commerce graduate. Yeah. Um, I was then lucky enough to organise a secondment to the Bahamas
1: uh, (laughs) for two years, which was great fun. Not for tax? No, not for tax.
0: There's a little bit of everything, a little bit of
2: audit, a little bit of insolvency. I was seconded. I was CFO of the National Airlines there for about four or five months. Oh, like the
0: Bahamas Airlines? Bahamas Air.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Then I, along the way, I'd... uh, my wife Louise, she's from uh, Queensland, and so when we finished there, she convinced me to um, give Brisbane a go for a couple of years. That was in that was in late 1994, and then I came here and I was still in order. Then I moved into the corporate finance part of the firm, became a partner, did that. I've had eight years on the national board of PwC, yeah, wow. which I just recently finished as my my sort of term expired.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So so the, the reality is. I haven't been doing the same thing for thirty three years mm. and that's what's made it so sustainable yeah. and so interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. And I suppose, um, speaking more of uh, the deals practice has been probably where you've spent most of your time as a senior figure. Can you speak to us about um, what's so intriguing about deals for you? And
2: yeah, I think the interesting thing about deals is, is it brings a whole lot of disciplines together, a whole lot of skill sets. So, particularly at PwC and the way that we get involved in deals, we have our tax specialists, we have our due diligence specialists, our valuation specialists. Um, we do have we do you know, play a lead advisor role on some of the deals, and so it, 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 it's it's fascinating because you bring all those skill sets together, and then you see how a deal comes together, and how on different deals there's there's a, I suppose a different degree of importance on those deals. Some 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 the tax becomes really important. Mm, some the yeah. negotiating strategy becomes really important. Some the the understanding and modeling of value becomes really important. I mean, they're, they're all important in all the deals, but the relativity can change. And then, of course, you're dealing with buyers and sellers, which is always fascinating as well, a bit fast moving and, and intensive at times,
1: but always interesting. Mm, mm, for sure. And I suppose within your time um, working in deals, the ba- the process of evaluation is something that intrigues me, like I think anyone who is interested in stocks or or in private companies as well, mm. the art of evaluation is that something you get better at, in your opinion, over time. You, you, well, well, you'd like to hope so. You like some. <laughs> um, so,
2: some of my colleagues might disagree. In my case, but um, <laughs> but I, th- I think there's two things. One is you're always trying to grow technically, and yeah. so the, the principles of corporate finance haven't changed too much over the over the years. Although certainly the way industry cycles work, and you look at the way the tech industry moves today compared to to other industries historically, that that does change. But you try and grow technically, you try and read journals and and keep across technical developments. And then I think on an experienced side, you, you just see more things over time and you become, because particularly with valuations, you know, it's that classic, Definition of value: uh, willing but not anxious. What would a willing but not anxious buyer yeah. pay? A willing but not anxious seller. And so you, 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 over time, you see a lot of buyers and you mm. see a lot of sellers, and you start to get a better sense of how, in practice, people do perceive value. So I think that certainly helps. Yeah, you mm. spoke
0: there about the technology changing very quickly and stuff like that. And work. I have to be working on deals with companies where you might not even know what they're even doing or selling at, at, at some time. So how do you how do you like go about keeping up with all that and then also trying to understand each business when they come to you? Yeah,
2: the, se- certainly over time, you tend to focus a little bit on particular industries because yeah. it does get mm. difficult to yeah. to be a specialist in, in all industries. Um, but that's a really important part of of any valuation is making sure you do understand the industry and the asset or the business that you're valuing. You understand its position within the industry. Um, but you, you read a lot, you talk to people in the industry, that's yeah. how you, you stay on top of it.
1: Yeah. Now, okay. speaking of industries, one industry I don't mind is the uh, the AFL. Um, <laughs> your role at the Brisbane Lions, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but prior to being there, you're involved down at um, Mighty West Jr.'s AFC. Is yes, that I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've got listed here treasurer, coach, barbecue helper, dad. Can you speak to uh, Golden speak to Bulldog? Us? Actually, Golden Bulldog. Golden yes, Bulldog. I, yeah, I, yeah. I did know that. I, oh. I did know that. Because yeah. if you look a little bit to the left, you'll find my name under 225 games. No, no. <laughs> 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 thought I'd get that one in there. Um, but no, um, can you speak to us a bit about West and um, just sport? If, sporting clubs in general and what they've been to you in um in your life
2: well i grew up in country western australia and um it's a, you know it's easy to romanticize the past obviously but but life life did revolve around sport um and probably wasn't a lot of sports to choose from it was football or cricket <laughs> uh, a bit tennis maybe um and people used to get involved in those clubs, and that was that was what you did, and people's social lives tended to evolve around that, and I suppose I was fortunate growing up just observing my parents and the parents around me of, of some of my friends, that helping out and pitching in never seemed to, it, it was never sold as a chore, mm. it was something that people enjoyed doing. It was, you'd go down, you'd bring some energy to it, you'd have some fun the game would be finished you'd go to someone's house for a barbecue afterwards and you know, adults and kids and and, and, that, yeah. and so I suppose I observed that and I've been lucky down at West there was a great great during the time I was there I'm sure it was still the same there was a, a great group of parents and I, I always felt that you shouldn't look upon it as a chore you, you're going to be there anyway so you might, <laughs> as well, you might as well have some fun bring some energy and um and, and, yeah, so I, I enjoyed doing it for a long time down there and it was a great, great way to meet people and keep yourself pretty grounded. Yeah, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you took on the role as chairman in December 2017, the club's average home ground attendance was 16,455. In 2022, that figure was at 25,818. So what have been the key ingredients in delivering the improved on-field and off-field performance of the Lions?
2: I think um, focusing... The Lions are like any other business, if you like, that that we have a product and you've yeah. got to focus on your product. And at that, and that time, our product was poor. And there's a bit of a saying in sporting circles in Queensland that um, supporters are fickle. Mm. And and mm. you see it with a number of the clubs that, that attendance has gotten down. And I, I, I hate that expression because, mm. you know, I, I, any organisation... If they're struggling to sell their product, if they're blaming their customers, that's not the fast track to success. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's your product, not customers. And so, I, you know, we did, we put in. Now, that's it's easy to say that, but then you've got to work out how do you improve the product. Mm. And so, we you, we've been lucky that we we with hindsight some good decisions were made. We there were some good people came into the club, and it's been reasonably stable. And and the on field performance has improved. And I think. Um, We've, the the both in the men's program and the women's program has been fantastic as well. And so there's lots of little things. There's no, not been one single silver bullet. Um, it's just been lots of little things, being able to be entertaining, be able to put on a good product and said, be, be a club that generally people want to be
1: associated with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you, and you speak about um, that club-like environment, but also the... The parallels between business that's something i find really interesting because you speak it is a business performance matters um at the Lions, but then i feel like the Lions, as much as a lot of or maybe more so than some clubs is really a a brotherhood for the boys and a sisterhood for the girls and also the integration across the whole club is um is something that you guys have probably actively sought sought to build is that right
2: it is we've been conscious that you can take the business analogy too far mm. when you're mm. when you're running sporting organisations. I think because you have to remember that most of our players are coming in at the age of eighteen, and they've grown up in football clubs and and they've aspired to be elite athletes and elite footballers. But they still they still you like to be part of a football club, yeah. As do yeah. their family and and our supporters. So I don't think. You, you, it's, it's, it's a big organisation. There's a lot of money involved. And so you have to run it with a commercial discipline and a commercial focus. Mm. But when you're doing that, you can't lose sight of the fact that you're a football club. Mm. And people yeah. want to be associated with you because you're a football club. And so we have tried to maintain that. And we're conscious it's a little bit more of a challenge for us than some other... Um, Say clubs where past players tend to stay in the city, so over time, a lot of players that have played for the Lions when they retire, retire might return to Victoria or South Australia. Yeah. So we don't necessarily have that cohort of past mm. players, but we've tried to get better at that, at reaching out to the players that are around, to you know, and occasionally sort of have them at training and things like that, so that that you just create a feel of a of a club. And mm. um, Chris Bagan's great. I mean, Chris, which is true of any business, you know, Chris has Chris has a great attitude that you have to wake up in the morning and want to go to work Mm. and and you'd think that would be automatic at a at a football club because it's so many people's dreams to be a professional footballer. but it's not if you have the wrong environment and and if there's and if if i mean it, it is a high pressure environment regardless but if if you're applying pressure in the wrong ways uh, it just becomes unhealthy, and 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 people don't look forward to going to work. So yeah, we've had a big focus on
0: that. Mm. Yeah, um, I suppose one of the things that I was very interested about was um the massive growth in the AFLW, and um so and the Lions obviously had a great start to that um you know that new um league. So how has how is that how has that new league changed your role, and has it you know made it extra busy, or you know how how has that addition affected your role? Yeah, it does it? It does make
2: it extra busy, and that's something all the clubs are trying to get their head around. And particularly as the timing of the women's seasons have yeah. changed around, so have moved around, and that's placed quite a strain on on the staff. I think I think that there's there's some challenges in where the season sits now in terms of timing. But one of the positives is the women's seasons will be finished. Um, yeah. in in another week or so Mm -hmm. um and so the whole club will get a bit of a break um we'll have players male players return to pre-season next month but over christmas new year the whole club will be able to take a bit of a break which wasn't the case last year when the women's season started in early january Mm -hmm. um so so it's made it busier but having said that it's made it made it richer The, the the as a club, we've really embraced the women's program. They've rewarded us by being successful, yeah. um, and it does it does put you in touch with another group of supporters, a different demographic, yeah. which is I think really healthy for the club and the code. Um, and I think women's football generally, when you just look at not just our club but um, community clubs, suburban clubs, they just make them better places to be. It's okay. just it's just. A more balanced environment. It's a more yeah. natural environment, and um, and you're going to see that over time. In even it's interesting because it's still relatively new. And I went down to uh, an event at Wests, which was celebrating the end of the season, and yeah. and there's quite a few. Um, families down there. And there was a lot of men who would played mm. at Wests, and I was reflecting afterwards. Because that's great. Mm. I was reflecting afterwards. In twenty years' time, there'll mm. be a lot of women mm. as yeah, well sure. that had played at Wests exactly down right. there with their their sons and their daughters. So it's really it really changes the landscape for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: and, it, and you and you're speaking um, about about the women and the, the legacy that's going to be left by them. Mm. I think it's fair to say that the Lions girls have definitely left a pretty strong mark on the competition in the early years. Um, Why, I suppose, have the Lions been at the top in that space more than any other club, I would say, consistently, Mm -hmm. year in, year out? Do you reckon there's anything about potentially the, the way they go about it their culture their coach is there what makes them so successful
2: I think there's a few things I think certainly the coach is is, is yeah. one Craig and also Brianna Brock who's been the CEO of the women's football program since the beginning and they both had a long history of being involved in female, female football in Queensland mm-hmm. um, which I think then leads me to the second point is female football in Queensland has been strong for a long time mm-hmm. um, relative to the other states and um and uh, the upcoming preliminary final that we'll participate in i had a look i think there's only out of the 22 girls that are named i think there's only three or four that haven't played most of their football in queensland which is incredible um and you know, obviously, Ola O'Dwyer was from Ireland. Phoebe Monahan came up to us from Richmond, and there's one or two others. But but most of the players have come through the Queensland system, so it's a great reflection on Queensland footy, particularly when we're not the only club. The Suns, the Suns mm. have have uh, a good team too. Mm. So I think there's that, and then I, it sounds a bit self-serving, but I, the third piece of the jigsaw is that we've we've been really we've really embraced it as a club from yeah. day one. So I think. Um, well I know that the staff and the players would say to me that they felt supported Mm. Um, and I if I'm honest I don't think that's true of all the clubs I think Mm. um I think some of the other AFL clubs have been dragged into it a little by by the seeing the momentum of the of the other teams. Yeah, I think that's changed now. I think everyone's on board and everyone sees the value in it. But I think mm. you know, we did get a bit of first
1: mover advantage by being genuinely committed from day one. Mm. And speaking of other clubs, do you like I s- the chairman network? Do you reach out to a lot of those guys to brush ideas off? Is there anyone that you can think of within that network that you're um, that you sort of use as a sounding board?
2: I wouldn't say there's a a single um, person that I use as a sounding board, and it's an interesting dynamic because I, as you noted earlier, I took the role on in December 2017, and obviously for the first year or two you're you're one of the newbies, but there's been quite a bit of change post COVID. i was starting to feel as though I'm, I'm one of the, old, oldest, <laughs> the oldest serving members now, and there's still a few, but no, it's and 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 it, it's. Um, you know different individuals are relevant for different issues I think so there's no mm. one single president or chair that I go to mm. um, but certainly I regularly talk to a number of them about different things and we've got quite a bit in common here with um, the Gold Coast and GWS and Sydney so mm. I certainly talk mm. to them about issues that, that what what we loosely call the northern clubs <laughs> um, you know, I talk to them about those sorts of issues Um, But then there's other things that I'll talk to um, Melbourne clubs about. And sometimes they'll they'll reach out to me as well because they'll see something that we went through um, a year or two ago or or longer and and want to ask us about that. And I suppose, um, you know, the fact that we have been able to to improve the club's performance and the fact that we've been able to to get the Brighton Homes Arena Springfield development Mm -hmm. away... Mm -hmm. um, people are interested to talk to us about how we manage that
0: yeah yeah wanted to ask about the springfield development so it's something so it's a very exciting chapter for the lions and for the growth of the lions um both on and off the field so like any development there are stakeholders that you have to manage along the way what would you say has been the key to managing this
2: i think being clear on what we wanted to achieve and then being honest with people so if yeah. i i think about the various stakeholders. You've got your internal stakeholders, which includes members and supporters. Mm-hmm. And and we all know that not everyone was universally accepting of locating us, our training and, and women's facility at Springfield as being a great idea. A lot of members would have preferred that we were closer to the inner city. Mm. Now, that's, the reality is that's really difficult and mm. challenging. <laughs> Um, just because of, of the, the premium that's put on space around around there. And I think um, you know people had different visions of what Springfield could become. I think people that have been out there now and seen what's happened at Springfield with yeah. obviously there's, hot, there's a significant hospital, yeah. um, <laughs> universities based there, significant schools. It, it's really become something that's quite significant. So, but, but along the way, we were, we were honest with people. We listened to people. We listened to the different perspe- perspectives and, 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 and you know, there's probably a minority of people still aren't convinced, but at least we feel as though we brought people along the way. So that was mm. important. And then, then the external stakeholders like the AFL um, we had to bring them along as well. I mean, they had some different perspectives at times on what might the best location be and, mm. and, and probably were a bit impatient at times because it did take a, a, a long time, but we always felt that we'd rather take longer mm. and get a better outcome than, yeah. than jump into something. And then uh, the, I was, what I'd call the funders, so the different levels of government, um, <laughs> we were transparent with them um, around what we wanted and what we thought we could achieve and what we thought the benefit to them would be, uh, particularly around promoting women's football and, yeah. and, and women's sport and the fact that there'll be quite a lot of community use out at out Brighton Homes Arena. We've got um, a partnership with Multicultural Australia and they're going to use that as a home base for, for their, for their a welcoming um, centre for, for their clients as well. Yeah. So it, it, it um, and, and also that we had some skin in the game so that the AFL have put in significant capital mm. and the Lions themselves have raised significant capital. So we, we didn't just go you know, cap in hand to government to fund
1: mm. it. Mm. And I suppose um, with Springfield and uh, developments like that, one development that I've sort of been trying to follow is the, the Gabbard redevelopment for the 2032 Olympics. Um, I understand that you guys will be pretty heavily involved in those discussions. Um, what's your take on that at the moment and is, uh, I suppose, how the line's working through that with key government figures? Yeah. It's a work in
2: progress and we are working through it with, with government. Um, again, it's a, it's, the important thing for us is we know how we're going to evaluate the different options because there'll, there'll, be, there'll be more than one option and, and they'll be quite different. Hmm. And so we've gone through a process to work out, well, what's important to the club Hmm. and how Hmm. do we measure these? And and, and one is having some sort of home ground advantage. Hmm. So the Gabba's been fantastic from that perspective. We're, in the last few years, proven really difficult to beat at the Gabba. And and so that means it's a good experience for the fans and Hmm. the players enjoy that. Um, And to do that, we think we'd probably, if you have, I mean, the season length might change, but if we say we've got 11 home games you you'd like to think you could play seven or eight of those in one spot as opposed to playing two or three here and two or three there and moving around so so that's one criteria that, that something would handle at least seven or eight of the games um accessibility is is for our fans is is Important. We want to be able to get as many of our fans in as we can, and then to be able to get to the game because yeah. it's it, in all likelihood it'll be at least three seasons, possibly four, that we would be out of the Gabba if the Gabba is demolished effectively and rebuilt. Mm. Um, and that's a long time yeah. to lose contact that is, with your fans yeah. if they can't get there. So that's that's important. And then and then the next one is really around commercial and financial outcomes. Obviously, um, there's things that the GABA is the really set up for selling corporate boxes. So hospitality mm. it's really well set up for signage, the electronic signage, which means you can sell multiple signs yeah. during, during a game. You know, that infrastructure costs money and there's a question mark as to whether or not For a temporary venue, it would be worth the investment if it was just going to be for three years. So Mm -hmm. we'll have to understand the commercial impact as well. But at least now we've set the criteria so we know what we're working to and we'll
1: work with government through what the the alternatives are and and how they rate on, on... that criteria if if only the Lions had a bloke and you used a thing or two about valuations (laughs) (laughs) that might be a bit of forensic
0: (laughs) I'd (laughs) say they're in pretty good hands there um yeah so taking it back to PwC I guess so um what is one of the like you know I guess coolest deals you've worked on I guess something that will probably interest our listeners and definitely me and Charlie um Oh look! I've
2: worked on some some. We did an independent experts report for the Tadcorp Jupiter transaction going back quite a few years now, which was a significant transaction though in the um, in the sort of Queensland market. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the weirdest jobs yeah. that I've worked on. <laughs> when um, when SeaWorld was 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 acquired, um, we had to do what we call a purchase price allocation, and and that means you've got to apply the purchase price to the various assets that are acquired and originally someone was going to value all the on well, the livestock, and they decided they couldn't. So I had to value the dolphins oh, like and really? the polar bears and <laughs> the seals and, and the penguins. And that was Such that cool. was an interesting yeah. process.
0: Was, <laughs> was was one dolphin worth more than the other dolphin? <laughs>
2: well, they were depending on how well they'd been trained yeah. and how long they'd been. There you trained. Go.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Terry, the dolphin it was, <laughs> it was, it
1: was
2: right. The pilot, the polar bears were actually least at the time. I think.
0: Really?
1: That's, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I, I could have given you a bit of an expert opinion. I think I watched a few of those SEAL shows once or twice when I was little. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: so you do get to work across some interesting industries and some interesting things. Yeah, so, that's
1: definitely very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I suppose one thing that I always like to ask um, uh, like someone who's employed a lot of people and someone who's been a boss of a lot of people, what are the characteristics of an employee or some, a colleague that you really like working with?
2: The the people that I've enjoyed working with the most over the years are the people that, uh, well, they're ambitious Mm. um, because that means if you're ambitious, you'll work hard and you'll be focused, but but they don't put themselves first. So they've got to, and I probably haven't articulated that very well, but people who are able to work really effectively within a team. Mm. and and as I said, they are ambitious. Ambitious, so they want to be successful. So they want to progress. So don't get me wrong. This is not just someone who sort of sits back and spends all their time supporting someone else. But mm. but the the people I've enjoyed working with the most are those talented people that have that ambition. But also when when it comes to the crunch, it's not about putting themselves first. It's about making sure you get the you get the outcomes that everyone's looking for. And that mm. it's really powerful when you work with people like
0: that. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so, in both of the roles, I can imagine you are with some complex challenges. What processes do you have in place to help ensure you make the best decisions you can? For me, it's
2: it's the, the most important thing is probably consult. Yeah. I I will, and and it's and maybe that's because for, I've been at PwC. For so <laughs> long. <laughs> PwC, well, PwC is st- a partnership, and so we're all. It's always drummed into us at PwC that. That we're, not, we're not really utilising the power of PwC if you think you've got to solve everything yourself. Mm, mm. I mean, why would you Why would you sit there with such talented partners and think or try to do that? So yeah. it's always been our philosophy that no, if you've got a problem, go and consult and go and talk to, to other people. And yeah. ultimately, you've got to make a decision and you've got to be accountable for that decision. Uh, and the Lions is no different. And you do get some some complex issues that you've got to deal with across a range of sort of on and off field matters at times but I've always felt if you can go and if you've got people you can trust and people whose judgment you respect and that's important to mm. to mm. know who those people are in your whatever you're doing in your career um, if you've got people like that around you it, it, it's really valuable valuable to be able to go and talk to them about it and yeah, yeah, and they'll bring a different perspective and you may not agree with it at yeah. the end of the day but at least at least you'll hear a different perspective and it'll make sure that if you have got a complex problem you'll look at it from a few different perspectives yeah
0: definitely um, something we've asked a few of our guests is have have you had any like key mentors that have helped you along the way and you know if so what do you think like the main value of those mentors are yeah.
2: I, I think um, I would. I, I certainly have had some key mentors over the years. I've been really fortunate. Yeah. Um, I've, I've I've never had one single mentor that I've looked at and thought, oh, I really want to be like you. Mm. Um, and that's not to, to suggest I don't have immense respect for any of them. It's just I yeah. think it's always important to... You'll look at other people and you'll... You, we've all got strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. and um, And I think... You know, being objective enough to understand what other people do well and what you probably wouldn't do mm. uh, that they might do is important. Um, so I don't think there's been one single thing. It's, it's, it's For me, it's been about having multiple mentors over the years um, where I've been able to, again, consult with and get their yeah. advice and then also look at them and, and I suppose if, if I try and sort of take, take the best if I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I suppose one thing we like to ask all our guests is um, what advice would you give to a 20-year-old version of yourself?
2: It p- probably wouldn't matter because the 20-year-old version of myself probably wouldn't have taken any notice. <laughs> 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 so putting... Yeah, putting a great putting, answer. Putting, <laughs> putting that to one side. I think the thing is... Um, be aware of why you make a decision and and if I try and put a bit of flesh on the bone of that so so you under, better understand what i mean is if, if I take for example, um, we touched on the fact earlier that I went to I went to spend a couple of years in the Bahamas early in my career, yeah. <laughs> and the reality was I did that because uh, my wife and I the ways we were newly married. Um, and we wanted a bit of an adventure. It's, yes. and, it's not a bad place and, to be. And, and, long, so. and the, certainly in the medium term, if I'd gone to London or New York, in terms of my immediate career advancement, it would have been faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you come back to Australia after a couple of years in the Bahamas, you know people sort of think you'd probably come back with a bit too much sand in your shoes. <laughs> and, um, but But I was never bitter about that because because I knew where I went. I went to have a good time and I did have a good time. And so I just had to be a bit patient when I came back to Australia in terms of the pace at which I progressed within PWHC. I had to establish some connections and some trust and people knew that, yeah, I wasn't sort of a person that just played golf and laid on the beach. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it would have been easy to get frustrated, I think. Yeah. And so what, yeah, what I would say to people is, is think objectively about What's best for you, but then, but then understand why you made that decision. Because you can always look over the fence and see someone you think that's better off than you are. Mm. Um, but I think at the same time, if you're objective, you can always look over the fence and see someone that's worse off than you are. So mm. you know, I'd, yeah. I'd say think think about why you're making a particular decision, and then and then stick to that.
1: Mm. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much for coming on today, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I really Yeah, I yeah, yeah. really appreciate your time. Yeah. yeah,
2: pleasure. Enjoyed it, and I'll send you Lions memberships in the mail. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Thank you.